At our church meeting last Sunday, I had a conversation with my friend Barry. Barry has a business. It's called Wired Minds. He tutors students to help them to do better in school, those who are struggling. Has been doing it for a number of years, and he's doing pretty good at it. And of course, if you're doing good at something, then you're going to be busier than you used to be. And so he was talking to me about being busy, being overworked, trying to find the lines of between your family and and what you do vocationally, and those lines are blurred sometimes, and it's just not a precise science. And so I was commiserating with him because I'm in the same boat, and we talked for a half an hour or so. And as I reflected upon that conversation, I thought, well, I'm a repurposer, and so typically if I spend that kind of time thinking about something, I'm going to repurpose it, especially if it's something that is relevant and resonates to other people. And time management is relevant, and it resonates to all people. And so we want to learn practical time management tips, especially for busy people. And interesting, the last three, counting this, the last three podcasts that I've produced, uh, they have been centered around kind of New Year's theme. One that I did for Your Daily Drive was on how to lose weight. The second one was on biblical decision-making. This one is on time management, and that was not intentional, but that's how it kind of rolled out for me, and and I'm glad it has, because those are three things that we want to think about, not just as the year comes up, the new year comes upon us, but we want to think about these things year-round, and so you're welcome to listen to those podcasts, Losing Weights, Practically Working Through That, How to Make Biblical Decisions, well, that's something that we really need to nail down, and then this idea of being busy. Well, this is what this Life Over Coffee podcast is all about. It's episode 222. It's titled Practical Time Management Tips for Busy People. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. If you want to read what I'm going to share with you, you're welcome to do that. Just jump right here to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for episode 222. Practical time management tips for busy people. People who love to help others tend to give too much time of their time to those folks. People who love others rarely hit the ditch of apathy and I don't care. If you love people and you want to help people, if you're going to hit any ditch, it's going to be the other one. And that is where you overcare, care too much, not sure where to draw the lines. And if you're not careful, you can find yourself just really just worn out because uh, you're giving too much time. And you need to think what I hope would happen through this podcast is that you would learn and apply these time management tips because they can be a lifesaver. And I'm not talking just for your life, but also for those that you love the most, because it tends, for busy people, we can tend to neglect those that we love the most, and that's why it's important that we want to make sure that we're not just serving the world and serving other people in whatever capacity that may be, but we want to make sure that we prioritize so that we're not neglecting those who are closest to us. Burnout and relational dysfunction are frequent companions for those who don't understand the things that I'm going to share with you in this podcast. And so my appeal to you, learn these things, practicalize these things, and it will save it will save you from a lot of heartaches 
and a lot of misunderstandings with folks that uh, want a piece of your time. Now, these are things that I have learned. These are things that apply specifically directly to me. All of them will not apply to you, but what you can do, you can take every one of these tips, and I'm going to, uh, through this podcast, I'm going to give you nine of them, and you can reinterpret them and rewrite them and restate them and make them your own. But the concepts are applicable, and how you make it your own, it will depend on how you engage the Lord, engage the concept, and and bring somebody else in and talk to them about these concepts as well so that you can really customize your own set of, of time management tips for busy people. The first thing, and this is the most important thing of all, you are not the Messiah. We have one and he ain't you. This first tip I call the mini-Messiah concept. The Lord said those words. I put said in quotation marks, of course. But the Lord really impressed those words upon me many years ago. Rick, we have a Messiah, and you are, you are not him. He brought this point home to me when the phone rang one night, and it was a friend, and I would put friend in uh, quotation marks as well, because in my world, my friends, most of them are six-month relationships. It could be six days, six weeks, or, or six months, because they're my friend, because they need something that I have. And then once they get what they they have, we don't necessarily have a relationship. I don't necessarily have a relationship with them any longer. And so I had one of these friends with marriage problems, and Lucia, he called, and Lucia picked up the phone. It was a landline. For those of you who are in your 20s or younger, it was a phone that really that hung on the wall. And without answering it, she handed it to me. She did this because she knew that whoever it was, it didn't matter. I was going to help them. She knew that I would take the call. I would change our plans for the evening and respond to whatever crisis that was going on in this person's life. Her simple gesture of picking up the phone and handing it to me without a word exchanged was enough to bring the Lord's conviction. And I immediately knew I had a problem. It is what I call the mini-Messiah complex, MMC. I also knew that if I did not repent... I would damage our marriage, possibly irreparably. And so that night, the Lord changed my view of soul care, helping others, and counseling. It is rare that I I really am impressed by God to do something, and I respond immediately. I'm a little slow, a little stubborn, and don't change immediately, rarely. But this was not one of those occasions. The verse that leapt from the page that night was 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And I owned that verse that night. Today, when I talk to folks about this, when I'm training our students in our mastermind program, typically I'm talking to people who can succumb to the mini-Messiah complex And I talk to them about taking this verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and I want them, what I tell them to do is I want you to put a period right after the words, Apollos watered. 
And if you put a period after Apollos watered, it would sound like this. I planted Apollos watered, period. Not a comma, but a period. And then let that next sentence now that you have created stand alone. But God gave the growth. And the reason I say put a period there, because it needs to be a hard stop, because what happens to us is that we will go from I planted, Apollos watered, and I will try to give the growth or give the increase in somebody's life. And so what I encourage loving people to do is think about this verse and just insert a period there so you come to that hard stop so that you can deliberate before you move forward, because the next thing that happens is not your job. It is God's job. All you can do is water and plant. If you'd love to help people but do not know your limitations, or I would add if you do not know your insecurities, because this is a big deal when it comes to helping people. Loving people can be very insecure. And if you don't know your limitations, meaning you can't change anybody, you're not the Messiah, and don't, and you're not working through your insecurities, you may shipwreck your life and your relationships. God is sovereign, and he can take care of folks better than you can. Learning how to love others well while not being overcome by their suffering is one of the most vital tips you'll ever learn. Jesus had peace in a chaotic world, and you can be like him too. Now, the other tips that I'm going to share with you will give you practical ways for you to implement this, this tension that we have with the mini-Messiah complex. But point number one, we have a Messiah, and you are not Him. And so if you are succumbing to the mini-Messiah complex, then you want to start a process of repenting. And part of the way that you can do that is you can apply these other eight concepts into your life. Number two, don't accept monkeys. Now, there's probably a book that gives this idea. I don't know. I heard it somewhere. Someone shared it with me, so I didn't read it, and so I'm sorry if I'm taking this from a book that somebody kind of coined this expression because I just don't know who it is, but I'm sure somebody will tell me. But what I mean by this is that a person's burden is not yours. Their struggle, whatever it may be, is not a call for you to carry the weight of whatever is happening to them. Some folks can put pressure on you. Some can be outright demanding that you help them as they emotionally communicate their plight. And while you never want to be unsympathetic toward anyone, you must not let their problem become yours. You can't take their monkey and put it on your back. After a while, you'll have a gang of monkeys weighing you down. That's why I say point number two, don't accept monkeys. You can care for them, but their burden is not yours. Now, there are two extremes for you to assess yourself on this point about taking monkeys. Number one is, are you selfish and generally unsympathetic to the hurting now, if you're there, then this concept doesn't apply to you at all. You have another problem that you need to address. You need to learn to be like God. God is love, and you need to love others. 
But the other way, the, the other extreme, so that's one extreme, you just, you're apathetic toward people, but here's the extreme where the monkeys will gather around your shoulders. Do the problems of others create tension in your soul? Tension like worry, fear, anxiety, grumbling, impatience, criticalness, or frustration, and maybe you can add to the list. But if people's problems create tension in your soul, then you're taking their monkey. And if you're not careful, you will have a gang clustered on your back, and it will take you down. So point number one, don't be the Messiah, a mini Messiah. Point number two, don't accept monkeys. Number three, it's your calendar. It is your calendar. It is your time. A lady called asking to meet with me because she found out her husband had committed adultery. We set up the meeting two days later. I have a biblical precedent for this, even though that was not the intent. That's John 11, where Mary and Martha came to Jesus. Their friend, Lazarus, was dying, and Jesus waited two days before he hopped to it. Now, that's not what I was thinking when this lady called me with the adulterous husband. And and though we gave her care at the moment, I, we did not dismiss her, but I did not drop what I was doing to meet with them immediately. And she was upset that I would not meet that day. That's why I said earlier that if you struggle with insecurity, you'll have a problem because you'll start attracting, you'll start taking on all these monkeys, so to speak. And she was upset with me that day, and she told me about it later that she said, I I really did understand. But see, my thinking is, is that it took them about 15 years to get to this horrible place in their marriage, and waiting two more days to meet was not going to make things worse. If you jump to action each time someone has a need, you'll get tired of jumping. You'll potentially develop a bitter, cynical, and grumbling spirit. And I'll give you the end of the story. God did a remarkable work in their lives, and he restored their marriage. And as far as I know, they're happily married today. The last time I saw them was about a year and a half ago, and they seemed to be doing well. But when she called on a Wednesday... I said, we'll meet you on Friday. My point here, it's your time. It's your calendar. Number three, value the word no. Tied to the previous point is your willingness or unwillingness to say no to people. This concept also ties to the mini Messiah complex. It would do you well to read the four Gospels, particularly the words in red, And then reflect on all the times that Christ said no to folks, or there was an implied no response by his words or actions. As I mentioned earlier, in John 11, 5 and 6, when Mary and Martha came to him, he basically said no. It's implied. He hung out in the town for two more days before he hopped to it. But fear of man turns, fear of man is mercy, it will turn mercy or cause mercy to run amok. I think I said that correctly. If you struggle with insecurity or fear of man, your mercy will run amok. Your good desire to help people will go all over the map if you struggle with fear of man. It's the person who is afraid to say no because they don't want others to be disappointed in them. 
You've got to work on that. Point number one, don't be the mini Messiah. We have one and he ain't you. Point number two, don't accept their monkeys. Their burden is not yours. Point number three, it's your calendar and you have a responsibility before God to steward your time. Point number four, value the word no. And sometimes I will give this as an assignment for someone who struggles this way to read the four gospels and to highlight every instance where Jesus said no, where he did not give them what they wanted at the moment, where it was implied. Number five, prioritize your relationships. Your relationship order is always, number one, you. You are the most important person in your life. And if you don't take care of yourself physically and spiritually, everything else, everybody that comes after you, Uh, you will not be able to help them in the most effective ways. Humanly speaking, of course, I'm talking about personal responsibility. And so this is the instance where you can say you are number one. And so your relationship order is always you first. Second, if you're married, your spouse. And then if you have children, your children come third. And then number four are other relationships. And those other relationships will vary depending on the season in your life and your circumstances. And so you'll have to categorize your second tier of relationships. The second tier comes after you, your spouse, your children, and your most important relationships, number four. And so the key idea is that your second tier does not infringe upon your most vital relationships. I'll give you a few second-tier relationships, just to uh, give you an idea of what I'm talking about as relationships that aren't the most important. Your church folks, that would be a second-tier relationship. Now that, And even within that, you're going to have close friends within your church, and then you'll have not-so-close acquaintances. And so church folks, relatives, and, and again, you'll have close and extended relatives, or close, rela- uh, close relatives or those that aren't that close to you. Workmates, and workmates could be uh, ministry, what you do as a ministry. Uh, and then long, uh, long-time uh, friends that you have, or new friendships that you are making, and then strangers that you meet. All of these fit within, within second-tier relationships, and it's a fluid idea, because some of these relationships will move closer to you, and some will move farther away from you. But you have to understand the concept so that you can prioritize your relationships. That's number five. Number six, attention versus care. I've talked about this often. Some folks have to talk to you, and they won't accept direction any other way. They want to be in front of you, in your face, talking to you. This problem happens in ministries where the lead person has a following that is more than 10 people. For real. I want you to think about that. If you have a following that's more than 10 people, then you better start thinking about time management principles. You see, you cannot, you can only care for so many folks. And after a while, there are diminishing returns when the quality of your care spreads beyond any human's capacity to do soul care well. Jesus, his closest, most intimate group was Peter, James, and John. And then his next level group, his, his next tier, uh, were the other nine disciples. Jesus, in his humanity, could only give quality care 
uh, I said 10 people. In his case, he could with 12 people. But if you are serving people in ministry and you have a following that's greater than 10 people, then you need to think through this idea of giving people your your undivided attention versus giving them their care. If more than a handful of people are looking for your direction, you've got to develop a game plan to provide them with your care, but it cannot involve your immediate attention. Now, the most effective way that I do this is through our website which also trains folks in our mastermind program as well. Let me give you three illustrations of that. We have millions of words that are free to anyone if they want to do the due diligence to find that help. We have free forums where anyone can ask us questions, though most of the time they will not be talking to me. But, but here's, what, here's what I want you to hear. They're receiving my care even though they're not talking directly to me. You're listening to this podcast, and so you're receiving my care, but not my FaceTime. You read an article, you're receiving my care, but not my FaceTime. If you ask a question on our forum, you'll receive people that I am training, and so you're receiving my care through them. And so the third one is I have a group of folks that I'm training, and they provide care to the hurting. Just these three things enable me to provide care, think about this, to thousands of people all over the world. But there is only a handful of individuals that interacts with me directly. But if the person insists on FaceTime, they will be disappointed. And so the question becomes, do you want my attention or do you want my care? I can give you my care through the resources that I direct you to, but I cannot engage every person who wants to talk to me. We will never turn anyone away by the grace of God, but you will have to determine how you want to receive my care. And if you want to receive my care by being in front of me, that may not be possible because there's just not enough time in the day and I have so many responsibilities. But I will not turn you away, but I will make sure that you receive care. Number six, attention versus care. Number seven, everything is a meeting. Every encounter that I have with someone, I call it a meeting. It doesn't matter what that engagement is. For example, a date with Lucia, my wife, is a meeting. Time with my children, watching a movie is a meeting. Counseling sessions, attending church gatherings. I rarely tell anyone what I'm specifically doing because they don't need to know. My closer friends, I'll tell them what I'm doing, but I just don't announce what what I am doing. I call what I don't announce it specifically. What I say is that I have a meeting, and if you were to call, Lucia would probably say the same thing. Rick is in a meeting right now, which is true. If I told someone hurting that I was taking my child out for a burger, they might become upset with me. Thus, we have meetings all the time, including cuddling with my daughter as we watch a movie together. That is a very important meeting, but I'm not going to tell anybody that, especially if they want to meet me right now. It's not that I don't love people. It's not that I don't want to help people. Helping other people is my most profound passion, but I cannot be every person's answer man. I cannot be Johnny on the spot for everybody. Whenever there is a genuine need or something that is floating through, through someone's heads, they want to talk to me, whether it's a serious problem or something floating through their heads, I just can't be there all the time. And so one of the ways that we do this is so that it doesn't offend people, 
or so it's not off-putting, I am not dismissing you, but if I'm in a meeting, which could include cuddling with my daughter, then that meeting is more important. Number eight, don't add dates. What I mean is don't add date, don't add dates to your calendar. If you don't know how to filter out the seriousness of a need or the crisis level, then anyone can manage your life, and you will break down eventually. One of the ways that I work through this problem is that I don't add any dates to my calendar. I don't touch my, I don't touch my calendar. Part of the reason for this is that we have several calendars spinning in our orbit, orbit at the same time. We have a family calendar, a work calendar, a church calendar, a school calendar, and our children have, they have jobs, vocations. And so we have multiple calendars. It would be unwise for us to have more than one person adding things into our calendar because I never know what Lucia has going on, who she's talking to, what she's waiting for, for someone to respond to her for a date that she has given out or they've, that, she, that they have requested for her and so forth. And so wisdom says, Rick, let one person run this universe. And Lucia is highly competent when it comes to running my life. The other upside is that it filters out the non-serious time requesters. Inevitably, when someone sees me, like at a church meeting or in Walmart, they say something like, Hey, Rick, let's get together. If I made that date, if I put that date on, on the calendar right there on the spot, my calendar would fill up immediately. And thus what I do is I tell them, Sure, love to, and that is genuine. I'm telling the truth. Then I will say, give Lucia a call or email her and she'll make it happen. Here's the thing. 85 to 90% of those requests don't happen, which frees me up to help people who are really serious and they really have a need. Many people live at the moment and are not thoughtful planners or strategists, thus their lives are all over the map. There are structure and spontaneity. You don't want to be in either extreme where you're so structured that there's no listening, walking in the spirit. But folks can also err on the other side of impulse or spontaneity. Thus, they see me and they want to meet, and then after they leave, they don't remember the ask, and they don't follow through by making the meeting. That takes care of that. And so what I, I haven't done this for years. It would be exceptional for me to ever put anything on my calendar. So number eight, don't add dates. And then finally, number nine, create filters. After a while, as requests for help increase, you'll have to create filters between you and those who want to talk to you. I do this in several ways. I've already mentioned several, like I don't put dates on my calendar. We call everything uh, we call everything a meeting. Uh, we prioritize our relationships. All of those things are part about filters, but there's some more practical ones as well. For example, my phone is on call forwarding, so nobody can directly call me. I have a wonderful uh, technological phone, and I use it for so many things except for talking to people. I don't talk a lot on my phone. Typically, when a people when a person wants to talk to me, they want to tell me their story. Four of those stories in any one day would virtually shut down our ministry. And so I have to have other folks handling my calls. I just can't be that receptive. I don't engage anyone on social media, particularly Facebook. 
I realize that our Facebook page is called Rick Thomas, and that's just the brand. And so some people think that they're talking to me. I get instant messages all the time. They request all kinds of things. Can you tell me more about this or tell me more about that? Hey, I want to be a mastermind student. Will you tell me more? I don't respond to those conversations. I can't. There's too many of them. But as I said earlier, we never turn anyone away. And so if that person really is interested in our mastermind program, then he's going to do what it takes to get his questions answered. But to think that that I can be everywhere, that I'm omnipresent, and I can respond to you the way that you want me to respond to you, then that just can't happen. It is a huge distraction. Therefore, I can't spend time on social media. We put a message bubble at the bottom right of our website so a person can access us instantly. Just boom, hit the bubble and send in your question and we'll respond to you promptly. Promptness is one of the hallmarks of our ministry. We do respond quickly. We also have free and private forums where a person can ask us anything. My mantra is, if your question is that important to you, then you will do what you need to do to find the help, and you can come to us. We'll not turn you away, but this concept filters out scores of questions each month, probably hundreds of questions that come to me each month because the person asking the question will not take the time to ask in these places that we clearly provide. I've never turned anyone away, but I do not permit other folks to determine how they will receive my care, to meet every person, when, where, and how they want you to connect with them is unwise, is poor stewardship of your time, and it can cause irreparable damage to your most vital relationships. This is episode 220. It's titled Practical Time Management Tips for Busy People. If you want to talk, jump on our forums. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.